0: This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's been a while since Oscars meant anything to the wider public, and this year the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences pulled out all the stops to make it big, glamorous and relevant. Above all, relevant. The big side was filling up the stage with everyone the perceived audience had heard of, this ranged from the tennis-playing Williams sisters opening the show to actors, country singers, rappers and stand-up comedians. And, of course, Will Smith. I'm not, I'm not crying for winning an award. It's not, it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light. The glamour side was covered by a parade of black outfits and more plunging necklines and décolletage since Louis XVI. And the relevant included three women hosts shouted on by an MC, while a DJ briefly replaced the traditional orchestra leader. And culminating in a punch up between two black comedians. These days, apparently, that's the way we do it. Thank you. Uh, uh, hoping Academy invites me back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As for the actual films themselves on display, it was significant that of the five nominations for Best Director, only the two losers, Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Spielberg, hailed from California. The other three were Belfast's Kenneth Branner, who surprised everyone by winning Best Original Script, Japan's Ryosuke Hamaguchi, who won for Best International Feature, Drive My Car, and New Zealand's Jane Campion, who picked up Best Director for Power of the Dog. Kia ora, kia ora, Aotearoa, New Zealand and Australia. I love directing because it's a deep dive into story. Yet the task of manifesting a world can be overwhelming. The sweet thing is, I'm not alone. Not nominated for director was the woman who led the surprise big win of the night. Coda was Sean Hader's first feature, and she won not only Best Adapted Script and Best Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, but also Best Film. It's so hard to be a director and a mom, and you make it possible. And my kids... Nico and Milo. I love you guys so much. I love you forever. Interesting how many of the nominated features were remakes. Kodo was an English language and signed version of a sweet French film called The Bellier Family. West Side Story and Nightmare Alley were cover versions of ancient hits, while Dune was a rather better go at a well-known David Lynch disaster. Emperor, we come for you. A spectacular journey through the wonders of space and the mysteries of time. But the big loser of the evening, or the big winner, depending on who you talk to, seemed to be Will Smith. He preceded his expected win for Best Actor with a completely unexpected smack on the nose delivered to presenter Chris Rock for an alleged joke at the expense of Mrs Smith. That was a, that was a nice one, OK here? Uh-oh. Richard? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. In fact, the evening was pretty full of alleged jokes. It was already a bit of a mess, and frankly, whoever wrote the so-called script for the three contrasting hostesses deserved a smack on the nose themselves. We're your Oscar hosts. I'm Wanda Sykes. I'm Amy Schumer. And I'm single. Oh, okay. boy. Well, it's over now, and time will tell whether the unscripted fireworks and the overscripted production will save these Oscars from oblivion. It'll certainly be the most YouTube version in recent history. Did I miss anything? <laughs> there's, like, there's, like, a different vibe in here. This week we look at three small films that reflect diversity and passion in all the right ways. There's a British heartbreaker called Nowhere Special, a Kiwi-Canadian blend of indigenous and sci-fi, Night Raiders, and first the Japanese film that conquered most of the world's award shows this year, Drive My Car. <laughs> Drive My Car, despite the name, is in no hurry to get where it's going. There's a lengthy prologue where we meet writer Oto, pitching a half-finished story to her husband, Kafuku. She's a TV writer, he's a theatre director. And the question seems to be, is the story she's telling true or not? But we never find out. Oto dies suddenly and two years pass. Where is this film going? 僕が一番恐れていたのは音を失うことだった。Is going to the city of Hiroshima, where Kafuku has been commissioned to direct a production of Chekhov's play Uncle Vanya. A production that, as is Kafuku's way, will be told in several languages, including Korean Sign Language. One of the lead actresses is deaf. So, <laughs> Well, as we struggle to keep up, Director Kefuku is told that it's mandatory for visiting directors to be assigned a driver for the duration. In this case, a silent, slightly sullen young woman called Miss Sake. Kefuku prefers to drive himself but reluctantly accepts the inevitable. And this, as they say, is where the story really starts. Despite drive my car's considerable length, it was actually based on a Japanese short story. It's a story about secrets, notably Kafka's doubts about his late wife Oto. Did she really love him? What was it she was trying to tell him just before she died? i to Adding to his stress is the fact that one of the actors in this production was clearly in some sort of relationship with Oto. As he wrestles with these feelings, he finds himself becoming intrigued by his new driver. Misaki has her own secrets, including a complicated relationship with her mother, who indirectly taught her to drive so well. We're watching two people extremely unwilling to let anyone into their lives who may ask uncomfortable questions. Cassette tape, so Belatedly, Kafuku strikes up a conversation with her. Why is she such a good driver? And this seemingly innocent question opens up an extraordinary tale of family complications. And his growing respect for his driver contrasts with his frequent arguments with his cast members. When he compliments Masaki effusively for her wonderful driving, his producers ask him why he can't be as supportive for his actors, who often feel lost with his conflicting demands. Takatsuki The film takes its time getting where it's going. It's a daunting three hours long, though. After the first act, the time seems to fly by, and the way in is the play. Chekhov's unique tragicomic sensibility in Uncle Vanya echoes Kafka's doubts and guilt, and also Misaki's apparent need to cut herself off from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the title, Drive My Car, is the one slightly clunky thing about the movie, though it might have been inflicted on the English-language version. But it's an extraordinary film that richly deserves the many awards it's received. Its message, chiming with that of the play, is simple trust people, it says. Even when we can't know everything about them, sometimes we have to take people at their word. The most extraordinary scene takes place on stage where Chekhov's philosophy is laid out entirely silently in the most expressive sign language. It seems to take cinema back to its early purest form where the expressions of actors' faces and their gestures can say more than the most poetic of language. One of the most moving of the films at the last international festival was a UK-Italian co-production called Nowhere Special. It stars TV favourite James Norton, and for once that phrase, as you've never seen him, is entirely appropriate. He's never been better as an ailing Belfast window cleaner called John, trying to bring up a four-year-old boy on his own. Come down, come down, his father cried. You'll be much safer by my side They'd never seen a boy so brave He gave his daughter a little whip, pitch Playing Michael is an extraordinary little kid called Daniel Lamont who acts almost entirely with his face and it's even more heartbreaking when it becomes clear John is looking around for new parents for Michael John, we realise you want the best for your son He deserves a normal family. All the opportunities I never had as a child. John has only months to live and with no family of his own, he's dependent on social services to find a suitable family to take Michael after he's gone. Every weekend, he and Michael visit another prospective family, all different, all potentially perfect or disastrous. And what does he know of your situation? And then, Michael, would you like to live in a different town, different home? I like home. The film was written and directed by Italian born, though long time British resident, Uberto Pasolini. As the name suggests, he is related to Italian film aristocracy just not the one you'd expect. He's the nephew of Pierre Paolo Pasolini's colleague, Lucino Visconti. He also produced the full Monty before turning his hand to directing. I always thought that I knew him. But do I know him enough for this? I was very taken by Pasolini's last film, another one from the heart, called Still Life, starring Eddie Marson. But this film tops that, I think. Who can't identify with a desperate father given just a few months to try and give his son a life? Wouldn't you like a mommy, Michael? There's a limit to the number of families we can consider before taking a decision. This is the biggest decision of my life. This is our responsibility. We visit so many contrasting families, from would-be parents who are looking for carbon copies of themselves to people who seem to treat fostering as a hobby or others who simply think that they've been missing out on something trendy. As the exasperated John says to social services, where do you find these people? I wouldn't give a dog to them. How can I do this to him? I've given him a family and i like, taken it away. You are doing something very brave. And each weekend, the options seem to get more and more limited. Nowhere Special gives us only the barest explanations as to how John got into this fix, his own dismal childhood and the hasty marriage to Michael's mother that was over almost as soon as Michael was born. Hello, darling. Hello. That's my mummy. She had to go away. Far, far away. Far, far away. This isn't a Ken Loach attack the system story. The overworked social services staff are doing what they can, though it's young Shona who's the one going the extra mile to help John and Michael. I'm breaking loads of rules I know about, and I'm sure a few more that I don't. I'm running out of time. But in the end, how can you know, not just what's going on behind the ingratiating smiles of the families you visit for one or two hours, but with Michael himself? What can you tell, what should you tell, a four-year-old kid about the grim realities of life and death? I don't want him to understand death. Not yet. I thought I would know when I first saw him. No, yes, not these, that's them. Of course, children often know more than you think. They certainly pick up words that keep being repeated weekend after weekend, words like adopted. What's adopt, Daddy? When a child cannot be looked after by his daddy so he can live with two nice new parents. There are two destinations for this story, and the title Nowhere Special is particularly loaded, the sort of phrase you use to stop a child worrying. First is which home Michael will be sent to, and second is finding a way for the child to understand life without John. Your daddy will always be around you, in the air and the sunshine that warms you. I suspect you won't need me telling you to stock up on hankies before you see Nowhere Special. You may be lured in by little Daniel Lamont, but the acting across the board, led by James Norton, is spot on. You won't see me. But I'll always be with you. (laughs) On the strength of this film and the previous still life, I'd like to encourage writer-director Uberto Pasolini to up his productivity a bit. In the time it took him to make these two little gems, Adam Sandler produced 15 movies. Just saying. My son... Some people say that we're moving into a new golden age of indigenous cinema, here and overseas. What's different is that these films are being taken out of the earnest-worthy categories and opening up to comedies, romances, action and sci-fi. You can entertain while you make serious political points, goes the argument. The Academy want to start the war again and they'll force our kids onto the front lines of it. I'm going to find her again, on the other side. Night Raiders is a dystopian future drama, albeit made on a fraction of the cost of films like Children of Men, let alone The Terminator. It's written and directed by Canadian Dani Goulet. It's her debut feature. And it's co-produced with Kiwi's Ainsley Gardner and, inevitably, Taika Waititi. (laughs) Night Raiders is set in the near future. There's been a disastrous civil war and the winners have set up the Sinister Academy. In it, children, mostly indigenous, are collected and brainwashed into joining the police state. Some attempt to fight back, like Cree Mother Niska, played by the statuesque Elamaya Tailfeathers. Moral, come. Who lives here? The city went dark after the war. No one can see your face. No one. Niska has been hiding out in the northern wilderness with her daughter Wasisa, but when her hideout is discovered by Academy drones, the pair flee back to the city where they make contact with the few other free families. Is that a child? No, oh, no, it's okay. See? I was beginning to believe that my boy was the only free one left. For Indigenous Canadian audiences, the basis of this story will need no explanation. It harks back to the notorious residential schools last century, where Canadian authorities arbitrarily took custody of many Indigenous children with devastating results. It's a theme that will resonate with colonized peoples around the world. Are you ready to give yourself to your country completely? Your daughter won't be the same person when she comes out of the academy. It's me. See you back. Night Raiders translates this into a familiar sci-fi scenario where young Wasesa is taken by the Academy goons. On the run, her mother Niska seeks help with the underground resistance. One of its members is a New Zealander called Leo, played by TV star Alex Tarrant. As long as we have one piece of land, they will always come for us. Is it too late? No, but we have to go now. Alex is assigned rather more exposition duty and less action than perhaps he'd like, but he takes it on the chin and even jokes about his unlikely presence in an otherwise Cree nation army before summoning that too-frequent element in this sort of sci-fi fantasy, the unattributed prophecy. You're a long ways from home. I go where I'm needed. A stranger would come to the camp from the north, and this stranger would ensure the survival of her people. I keep remembering Morgan Freeman in the Lego movie. It's true because it rhymes. But in this case, the prophecy predicts a noble saviour who'll arrive from the north. It ties in with the traditional indigenous atmosphere, like a sort of sci-fi whale rider. We give our allegiance to our glorious republic. We'll find a way. Oh, I can't. You're well, the story of Night Raiders is a heartfelt and intriguing take on colonisation, using sci-fi to shine a new light on old, unaddressed grievances. Particularly distressing is watching your own children taken and then turned into tools of your oppressors. I can solemnly swear to protect it. One country. Get down. One, one language. Making a genre picture gives what could have been a rather dry message film an entertaining slant, though it is slightly constrained by its budgetary limitations. It could have used a bit more action to pay off the efficient suspense sequences. but it's undeniably a strong first step towards more and bigger to come. The talent pool of strong indigenous performers before and behind the camera can only be good for future films. There's clearly a hunger worldwide for a range of voices and faces on the screen. And as we wait for more and different, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.